0: Purdue fans, this is Johnny DeCamp, bringing you play-by-play. The Rousy-Rousy. everybody along with Ron Kramer. This is Pete Van Weeren welcoming you to Ross A. Stadium from Ross A. Stadium in West Lafayette, Indiana. It's a football Saturday in West Lafayette, Indiana, and one of the biggest home games in decades. Where the makers the field.
1: What a night in West Lafayette.
2: Your Central Indiana Ford dealers are a proud sponsor of Purdue football and the Ross A. Greatest Games podcast. Visit your local Central Indiana Ford dealer today. Welcome to the Ross Sage Greatest Games Podcast. I'm Corey Palm alongside Tim Newton as we celebrate the on 100th season of the home of the Boilermakers by uh, recounting some of the best matchups that have ever happened inside that stadium. Uh, a few notes before we get started here today. Uh, number one, this is not a comprehensive list. Uh, there are far too many great games for us to have time to go through. Uh, in this series, so we'll have to be happy with what we get. Uh number two, we're gonna be presenting them chronologically. That's that's how we're going through these games because doing a rank order list is uh it, well it's a personal thing for each Boilermaker fan and and quite frankly we don't want to waste a lot of energy arguing over which game should go. Your your
1: results may vary.
2: Yes, results may vary. Our results may vary. Uh there's probably a few we could agree on, but uh we'll probably talk about that down the line. Now that that's out of the way, let's get to the game—the uh, one we're focusing on today. Let's go back to October 17th, 2009, when the Boilermakers take down number seven Ohio State. Uh, Tim, the post-Joe Tiller era didn't quite go in the beginning of 2009 like uh, like everybody hoped it would. It was year one of the Danny Hope regime, and uh, the Boilermakers got off to a good start with a season-opening win, and then. Things kind of went sideways.
1: Yeah, they lost five games in a row, and these were two teams coming into Rossade that day that were in opposite directions. Ohio State was ranked seventh in the country. Uh, The Boilermakers, after beating Toledo in their opener, were one and five. They had lost a disappointing game at Oregon, uh, 38-36. It was a wild uh, high-scoring affair. A lot of fans will remember the game against Notre Dame in 2009, the infamous timeout. Should Purdue have taken a timeout defensively? Uh, they did, and it turned out Notre Dame scored a touchdown and basically on their finals shot with a t- short touchdown pass to Kyle Rudolph. Purdue lost again the next week against Northwestern when uh, they had an opportunity first and in goal inside the 10 with less than two minutes to play to, to get the game won and and couldn't get it done. So uh, you you have to imagine that the fans coming into ross Aid on that day were not very enthusiastic about Purdue's chances. And in fact... If you look at the attendance that day, there were only 50,000 fans at ross Aid Stadium and a lot of them were wearing red that day.
2: They sure were and that is evident uh, when you go back and look at game film, when you look at photos from that day, there's a lot of red in that stadium. Uh, They weren't they weren't real happy come the end, and there was very little red on the field uh, after that game uh, when the fans, when the, the loyal home fans got a chance to celebrate on uh, on the field with the team. When you want to pull
1: off a big upset, it helps to get off to a great start, and I'm not sure you could have scripted it any better, and Ryan Kerrigan was a big part of that. He
2: absolutely was. Uh, Ohio State gets the opening kickoff. Uh, snap one for the Buckeyes offense was so a tackle for loss from Ryan Kerrigan. And snap two was uh, a strip sack. Uh, Kerrigan had, uh, well, he had a huge day. We'll get into that. By the way, he's joining us later. Don't know if we mentioned that, but yeah. uh, special guest Ryan Kerrigan will will discuss this game with us at length uh, later on in this episode. But yeah, I turned the ball over on Ohio State's second snap. Mike Neal with a fumble recovery. The offense goes down, scores a field goal. The Boilermakers uh, go up 3 nothing early and uh, sort of sort of set the tone for how the afternoon was going to play out.
1: Now, the Buckeyes did score on their ensuing possession, so they got right back on the board and took a 7-3 to lead, and you thought, well, maybe this is the start of it. That was the only scoring Ohio State had in the first half, and Purdue was able to keep in it defensively, and Carson Wiggs gave them the lead late in, the, in fact, the last play of the first half with a 55-yard field goal.
2: 55 yards, Wiggs, he had a monster leg. Um, and, and they were they were not shy, especially in an end-of-half situation like that. Of Okay, give him a shot at, uh, at a long attempt, and he paid it off, 55 yards.
1: Yeah, and you wonder what the moods were like with both teams in the locker room. Ohio State came in a prohibitive favorite, and now all of a sudden they're down 9-7 to this upstart Purdue team, and the Boilermakers, and we'll talk to Ryan Kerrigan about this later, about the mood of his team going in and whether it had the confidence going into that second half.
2: It didn't get better for the Buckeyes in the second half. Uh, not only could their offense not do anything except for turn the ball over in the third quarter, but uh, the the Boilermaker offense finally got on track. Joey Elliott to Aaron Valentine twice for uh, scoring passes, and the and the home team jumped out to a twenty three to seven lead. Uh,
1: the Boilermakers used the tunnel screen extensively, and I know that at times that came at the chagrin of some Purdue fans because it was a big part of the Purdue offense were, under Danny Hope. But it was very successful that day, Aaron Valentine coming from the outside in and uh, got to the house a couple of times, and, and the Boilermakers did took a big third-quarter lead.
2: Head to the fourth quarter, uh, up by 16, the Buckeyes kick a field goal, pull it within 13, and Wiggs answers right back with his fourth field goal of the day uh, to extend that lead back yep. out. Um, when Ohio State was finally able to punch it into the end zone again, and then converted a two-point conversion about halfway through the fourth quarter. It was kind of uh, okay. They're, they're staying alive. Uh, they they clung to that life for a little bit. It didn't help when Purdue went three and out on their next yep. possession, and uh, the Buckeyes were driving once again, looking to tie the game up late in the fourth quarter. And then the, the Ryan
1: Kerrigan and the Purdue defense made another stop, got the ball back to the offense, and Ohio State basically handed Purdue the game late with a face mask call on a third down play when they had stopped Purdue short of a first down, and the Boilermakers were able to take knees from there and run out the clock and bring the fans that were at Ross-Ade Stadium that day down to the field for a happy conclusion.
2: Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned it takes getting off to a great start. It takes, let's be honest, some mistakes by the favored team, Every single upset you'll see will have them there, and that face mask certainly qualifies for that. Plenty of heroes in this game. Oh, lots of them. We mentioned Wiggs' four field goals. Uh, He was absolutely stellar. He got some national recognition coming out of that game as well. Um, Offensively, Joey Elliott, 280 yards, two scores, just one interception. He also ran for about 30 yards, says. That's a really good day for for uh Captain Snidbit, as says we like to call him around the office. Uh, there's a long story there. I won't get into it. but uh, Joey had a a nice game and and let's take a minute to talk about Joey Elliott, yep, his career at Purdue. um he he had a great senior season, Unfortunately for him. That was the extent of his career at Purdue, was that 2009 season. He had been playing behind a lot of guys, waited his turn,
1: and, and when the lights weren't on, you look that day, he was 31 of 50, 281 yards and a couple of touchdowns and and made big throws. Keith Smith, great possession receiver, Purdue had. Unfortunately, yes. his Keith. career was cut short a little bit by injury, but 12 catches for 125. And Aaron Valentine, who probably was as valuable to Purdue as a punt returner, had a great game receiving that day 10 catches 97 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah.
2: Yeah, plenty of offense uh that day and and they had some some support from the defense as well.
1: Yeah, you know, Kerrigan was okay that day. Um <laughs> five solo tackles, nine total tackles, three sacks, four tackles for loss, two strip sacks and one fumble recovery. They kept him on scholarship the following
2: <laughs> right, week. Right, right. They decided he could uh he he could have two desserts that night after didn't after, know. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan, uh, na- National Defensive Player of the Week after that, I believe, uh, came to be known internally as Superman that week. Uh, famous press conference moment. Coach Danny Hope talked about his his uh, Superman moniker. Uh, I believe it was that following week. He was he was all everything and, and very important. He wasn't alone out there. Yeah. His defensive front for that year – uh, was as good as any, maybe, uh, maybe in the history of Purdue football. And you know that
1: win for Purdue that day really boosted them for the second half of the season. They started the year one and five, but finished with a four and two record, including their first win at the Big House in about half a century. And Ryan Kerrigan made the win- winning play on that one. We'll we'll talk about that one a little bit later on. But in a, this was an Ohio State team that was really good. They did not lose another game. They mm-hmm. finished uh, fifth in the national poll. They beat Oregon in the Rose Bowl. So. This was a really, really good Buckeye team that the Boilermakers handled that day.
2: The same Oregon team that Purdue nearly beat in Austin Stadium uh, back, uh, back in Week 2. So, yeah, uh, it was a very good Ohio State team. It was a very good day for the Boilermakers. And, uh, well, that's why it's on our list of, of Ross State's greatest games. We're going to uh, step aside just for a brief moment. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Superman himself, Ryan Kerrigan, on the show Right after this,
1: your Central Indiana Ford dealers are a proud sponsor of Purdue football. Visit your local Central Indiana Ford dealer today.
2: We are joined now by Superman himself, Purdue Athletics Hall of Famer Ryan Kerrigan. Uh, Ryan, great to see you. Uh, uh, obviously, we're we're talking about the 2009 Ohio State game this episode of the Ross Sade's Greatest Games podcast. Uh, uh, How much of that game do you recall, and and what's the first thing that pops into your head?
0: Of course, the first thing that pops into my head is just the fans rushing the field after the game. That's something I always dreamed about growing up as a kid, watching college football, especially watching Big Ten football growing up in Big Ten country. You you always dream about being a part of the winning team when your fans rush the field, and so to have... That actually happened, you know, against a team, you know, at number two at the time, I believe Ohio. So what, what were they number two or number seven? Where they uh, was, number seven. Yeah, they were yeah, seven. Yeah, that's right. Seven. Yeah, they were number seven. And it I mean, it just it couldn't have been a better day. It was it was awesome. We were struggling mightily going into that game. And then to have the game turn out the way it did was incredible.
1: Do you remember much, Ryan, leading into that week? You were 1-5. You mentioned they were ranked 7th in the country, and you'd had some tough losses the previous weeks. Um, was there any feeling that maybe this is the week
0: that things will turn around? Well, I remember our, our defensive line coach, Terrell Williams, at the time. He really hammered the point home that though Ohio State was ranked 7th, though we were 1-5, he loved the way our defensive line matched up against their offensive line. And he really he made us believe. He made he made me believe throughout that week that you know that if we did what we were supposed to do up front, that we could and would win the game. And he was right because it felt like collectively we played really well across, up front that game. We were able to control line of scrimmage and you know affect Terrell Pryor in the past game. And and so yeah, I mean, I mean to for to it it sounds weird to say that being one and five that we felt confident going into the game against the number 7 ranked Ohio State Buckeyes but we kind of did at least on the defensive line
2: well i'll tell you what uh you set the tone very early in that game ohio state got the opening kickoff on snap 1 you uh you took down i think brendan sain for a tackle for loss and on sack 2 you sacked prior stripped him and uh, Mike Neal recovered the fumble, uh, which the offense then turned into points. I mean, it, there just could not have been a better start to the game. Uh, less than a minute in, in a game where you kicked off, your team was up uh, three nothing.
0: Yeah, it, it really it started off as as well as it could have. I mean, it. That, I still remember that for that sack that that sack fumble because I remember like feeling the action of the offensive line going away, they're booting to their, to their left, our right. And, but the, you know, tight end was, you know, uh, hanging on me, trying to pin me down. I was like, okay, this is a a definitive boot key. And so I just tried to hit it upfield vertical the best I could cut off Terrell Pryor, you know, before he got to his launch point and was fortunate to do that, got the ball out and, you know, Mike got it back. And then we turned it into, into points. And that's, like you said, for a team kicking off to start out with a 3-0 lead that early in the game was was huge.
1: They bounced back right uh, right after that uh, field goal that you kicked and, and scored a touchdown, but you were able to hang with them for the first half, and Carson Wiggs hit a big field goal, long field goal going into the locker room to give you a 9-7 lead. Do you remember what the feeling was like at halftime in that game?
0: Well, I think the belief that we had that – you know that Coach Williams had instilled in us, uh, def- on the defensive line. That started to really kind of percolate m- more in our in our minds. Like, okay, like you know he's he's right. You know, like we can hang with these guys. We can, you know, we can beat these guys. And we just the the old saying goes: the more a team can hang around, the more a team can uh, you know kind of stay in the game. An underdog team like we were that day, the better chance that we have of of winning. And you know, for Carson to to boot one through from that far away you know, going into the locker room to give us a lead, that was definitely a a shot in the arm going into the half that, you know, really propelled us throughout the second half.
2: Second half saw the defense, you know, a couple interceptions. Uh, Anytime you can force turnovers and and really, you know, have those sudden changes, uh, it can lead to good things. It also saw the offense finally reach the end zone a couple times. Joey Elliott to Aaron Valentine, touchdowns put the Put put you guys up big uh, headed into the fourth quarter, and and I imagine you've been talking, you know, repeatedly about having that belief. Well, with 15 minutes to go, you guys, you know, 16 point lead, and and just had to be flying high on on the sidelines.
0: Yeah, at, at that point, we were. I mean, our our adrenaline, our our confidence was was sky high, and we're we're just thinking, okay, defensively. Let's just, you know, you know at, take it one possession at a time, one stop here. Let's get one stop here. And then next time we go out, let's get one stop here. And just offensively, it's just keep moving the change. Keep eating away at that clock. You know, if they can't score if they don't have the ball. And so, and it, I was just, it was a true team effort that day. And, you know, so many people contributed in such big fashions. Um, you mentioned Aaron Valentine. Him and Joey Elliott were so lethal on that little tunnel screen that they, uh, they perfected during 2009. Um, man, just, again, so many key contributors that day. When you
1: play a game against a team like an Ohio State or a Michigan and you hang with them, and you beat Michigan later on in the year yep. in the big house, can you sense panic on their side that, hey, this is a team that we should be controlling, we should be beating, and yet they're hanging with us? Did you sense any of that from Ohio State in that game?
0: I would say it wasn't as much panic as it was, I think we kind of, we instilled doubt in them. We inst, like, you could like go, when we had, you know, that as momentum built in the latter part of the third quarter and into the fourth quarter, we, we felt like we were the favorite, the favorite in that game. We felt like the roles had been reversed that we were the favorite and that, you know, they were, they were now the underdog and, and you could, I mean, I know I, I could feel that a little bit on 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 the field, and that was a really good feeling to have being where we were at one and five and where they were at, you know, number seven team in the country.
2: I know you uh, you mentioned earlier, Coach Williams, and, and you know, thinking that, that your unit matched up really well with their offensive line. Let's talk for a little bit about that defensive line you guys had that year. Kawan Short in the middle. You had Mike Neal, who we've already talked about. About, I mean, that's, that's almost 30 years of NFL experience and a handful of Pro Bowls uh, just between the three of you to say nothing of, you know, the other guys that, that were contributing on that team. Like, looking back on that group, that, that was a heck of a collection of talent.
0: It really was. It was, it's, it's pretty cool to look back and think about a lot of the guys we had come through our D-line room. Uh, the year, bef- year before that, we had Alex McGee, who ended up being, I believe, a third-round yeah. pick of the Buccaneers um and then you know mike you know second round pick of the packers uh, kk you know second round pick of the panthers who you know was a hell of a player on their super bowl team a couple of years back mike won a super bowl in green bay it's just it's pretty cool yeah. to think back on on the talent we had in that room and it was just so gratifying to see that you know our defensive line you know have the type of day that we had uh against ohio state when because we really needed it that day and we needed it in a bad way, and we we got it, and it was great to see.
1: Uh, you talked about uh, before uh, we, as we started uh, about fans rushing the field. When <laughs> when fans rush the field, what do you as a player try to do? Because clearly you, you want to make sure you don't do what Tim Stratton did in two thousand. <laughs> that is lose your helmet in in the melee. And uh, how do you, how do you handle when thousands of people are running at you?
0: Well, I think it's uh There's a couple of different ways. I mean, unfortunately, in uh, 2007, my freshman year, I had that experience at Indiana. But in uh, in the other way, when you're in the loot, you're in the losing end of it, and uh, that was. Uh, it's definitely. It's frustrating when, and it's it's not a good feeling when when it's, when you're on that end of it. But you know, have, when you're on the winning end of it, like we were, you know, in in 2009 against Ohio State it's just, you're just trying to just soak up the moment, just be there with the fans who you know stayed there and supported you, who came out and supported a team, you know, that was one in five and really struggling who going into the game, you probably thought had no chance of, you know, being on the same field as Ohio state. And so you just wanted to soak it in with them. You know, then I found, you know, my family and my friends that were, uh, you know, that were, were in the game at the game, you know, it was really awesome to see them on the field, give them a hug and kind of, you know, participate in the chaos with them. So it's uh it was, I mean, it, 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 it was all I had dreamt it would be. I'll say that.
2: We're going to talk about uh, sort of where you went from there in just a little bit, in just a moment. Before we get away from the game, uh, I want to – when I think of your career, uh, I think of uh, the game against Michigan the next year where you were Denard Robinson's worst nightmare. Um, and what I really think of the play that comes to mind is the 21-yard sack of prior where it was late in the second quarter, you get a straight line rush at him, it just blew past the, the tackle, taken for a 21-yard sack, stripped the ball, recover the fumble. Um, that play will always be ingrained in my memory of, of Ryan Kerrigan's career at Purdue. Uh, do you remember, what do you remember about that that play?
0: I remember we had a line stunt on, and so I was you know slanting from the C-gap to the B-gap and, you know, fortunately I got a kind of an aggressive set from the left tackle there. And so that, you know, allowed that B gap to open up pretty good for me. And so I just hit it, tried to pry him open the best that I could and just got vertical. And, you know, with, you know, being a longer developing screenplay, Pryor's holding on the ball, you know, a little bit you know longer than, than I'm sure that, you know, he would have liked to, um, swatted up the ball, fortunate to get it out. And it just took a, a friendly little hop right back up into my arms. And um, I remember the, you know, I remember, I still remember the video and, and seeing, you know, you know, Chris Carlino, Jason Warner all around me celebrating while I'm, you know, got the ball and it. Again, it was just like, it, it just, I wish I could bottle up that day and like the feelings that I had that day against Ohio state and just, and just always have that with me. Cause that was just some like moments like that were just unbelievable. And just, man, you just, you just wish you could relive them over and over
1: well, you did get to relive it over and over a little bit later that year because you had the big uh, clinching sack in the game at michigan thirty eight thirty six win and you sacked their quarterback on a two point conversion that would have tied it. The difference, though, you're playing on the road. was it more fun to win a big road game or a big home
0: game? I definitely I would say winning the Ohio State game was more fun getting to celebrate with you know the fans and. You know, who were, who were there to support you and whatnot. The Michigan game was just a different beast, though, because, I mean, we were down in that game. And, and we hadn't won in the big house, I think, since like 67 or something. And so for us to, you yeah. know, get a – you know, to go in go in there and beat them, that was just – that was amazing. I mean, and it, it was – again, it was a total team effort because we gave up a lot of points defensively, but we got some – we got timely stops. We had a clutch – on surprise onside kick by the special teams that got us a key possession back and our offense scored 30 some points so it was like really a total team effort and that's that's what made it so so satisfying was that you know everyone was involved and 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 was such key contributors
2: first round draft pick uh the next spring after being a a a consensus all american year at purdue uh your senior year i know I know that senior year uh, on the field as a team didn't quite go how you hoped, but uh, uh, your NFL career I don't think probably could have been drawn up much better. You, uh, a ton of success in Washington. You know, finished your uh, career as the 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 programs or the, the organizations all time sacks leader, which is saying something for for a storied program like that. Uh, what are you most proud of uh, of your NFL accomplishments?
0: Um, I would, I would say that I was able to have fortune. I was able to play as long as I was and I was able to play at a high level for a long time and that, uh, and that frankly, I was able to, you know, you know stay as, as healthy as I was, you know, generally speaking, I'll say I, I was available to play. I wasn't always healthy, but I was available to play, um, you know, a lot of games and I'm just. It was, uh, I mean, when I sit back and think about my playing career, it really is is It's still almost hard to believe, you know, that I got to live it because I had so much fun doing it. And um, it just, like you said, couldn't have drawn it up any better. Um, it just, you know, obviously would have liked to have experienced, you know, a Super Bowl, you know, some playoff success. But, you know, that's that's not what everyone, everyone doesn't get that. And that's why it's sweet, I imagine, when you do get it. But, you know, I just, you know, in terms of, you know, being able to play for 11 years and you know, have as much fun and meet as many great people as I was able to, it was, just, it was a dream, dream come true.
1: The guy that brought you to West Lafayette, Joe Tiller, always said that the greatest ability a player can have is availability. <laughs> and You just talked about the durability, 139 straight games. What was your off-season regimen like that allowed you to stay healthy and be able to perform at such a high level?
0: Well, I got good advice from a couple of veterans when i was early in my career and they talked one of the things they talked about was taking care of your body the same way in the off season as you do in the in season because you know, in, in the in se- when you're in season you're very you're hyper focused you're constantly doing you know doing different treatment different re- recovery protocols to make sure that you're feeling tip top for not only games but for practice um but you know one of the some of the vets i had talked about doing that every day in the off season so that you're when you're off season training you're feeling good for your training so you're really progressing and not just you know not just working out to check a box but actually working out and training to get better and so i really tried to i was very serious and very you know structured with my off season and in terms of okay like yeah i know it's mid february but i gotta eat like this i I gotta train like this i have to you know sleep like this recover like this because um if 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 this is the edge that I need to get over the guy that I'm going against, then that's what I have to do. And um, that's one of the things I try to impart on a lot of the guys that I coach now is that you have to, you kind of have to have a little crazy to you in the sense that like you, you're going to do whatever it takes to, to beat the guy across from you. And, and, and a lot of the things sound a little, like I said, crazy and a little nuts at times, but that's I, for me, that was my, my difference between, success and and not success. So that's, that was, uh, that's how I approached the games
2: Tim mentioned Joe Tiller. Uh, a lot of people don't think of it that way, but you came in, you know, 2006 07 was your freshman year. You got any Joe Tiller stories for us? Um, I got one. I'm not <laughs> totally comfortable
0: sharing, but, uh, uh, <laughs> no, no but, uh no, he just he was funny, and I think one of the things that i that he that was that really you know it was imparted on me was the relationship he had with like the older guys, like the fifth year seniors, the Dustin Kellers, Stanford kegler, you know of the world, guys like that that like the you know the the banter that they would have was it just would crack me up. I mean, they'd come into a Sunday meeting after the games, and he just would you know they they'd be you know going back and forth about who knows what, but it was it just was I don't know it just little things like that that you know that I really I, I remember remember with coach tiller, and he just he was always such a tremendous supporter of me even after I had left purdue and was you know in the nfl i'd I'd get a letter every so often from him to saying how proud he was, and I, I kept the I kept all those letters because that was pretty. That's pretty damn cool. I mean, he's I mean, to think about all the players that he's had come through the program, you know, both, you know, at Purdue and when he was at Wyoming, like, and that he, you know, remembered me and was thinking of me and took the time to handwrite me. It wasn't like he was sending a quick te- text message. He was, you know, handwriting me a letter. And so, you know, that was, uh, that was it was he was a special guy.
1: You mentioned coaching. Now you're an assistant defensive line coach with the Washington Commanders. And one of the guys you work with on that staff is another Purdue legend, Jeff Scanina. Uh, tell us a little bit about what he's like on the field and your relationship with him.
0: We have a very good relationship. I mean, there's a lot of commonalities with us in terms of, you know, both Midwest guys that went to Purdue. Um, you know, he's he's always quick to remind me that he's the career tackles for lost leader. And then I'm, and I wasn't able to eclipse his mark. Um, but no, he's, he's awesome. To, he's awesome to work with. Um, cause he's, he's intense. He cares. He cares about the guys. He cares about what the, you know, the product that they're putting on the field. And he's just, it's, he's been a great, great, uh, like I said, great guy to work with.
2: You had a pick six against Eli Manning in your first pro game. You uh, had a sack and a half against Tom Brady in your final pro game. Um, sandwiched around that was a lot of uh, really important moments. You sacked Drew Brees not not once, not twice, but a handful of times in, in just a few matchups with the Saints. Is there any uh, single moment that really stands out to you from, from your NFL days?
0: Um Definitely the pick six. My first game was was really cool because I had always wanted to score in college. I always wanted to score a touchdown, and I never did. <laughs> and so when I got to my first NFL game, that was that was a little that was a little bit surreal. I I didn't even know what to do when I scored, but you know I would I think of a couple different plays that stand out. Uh, in 2016, I got a a sack fumble on Carson Wentz. Um, when you know in the in like the last minute of our game against philadelphia and we were fly- fighting for our playoff lives at that point and you know if we lost that game we were pretty much doomed and you know I, they were driving down and you know had a chance to you know score and take and win the game and i got a sack fumble that we recovered and were able to win the games so that one is pretty cool and then i got a sack fumble on dak prescott in 2018 late in the game that sealed a big home win against dallas which um Washington fans they absolutely despise all things Dallas so like that was uh so that was I know like and so I know how meaningful that was to the fans and so that's that those those couple of things were super meaningful to me and as, as far as on the field plays
1: we should mention a little bit about the family life the reason you're talking to us from your car today is your daughters are taking a nap right now uh well how is the family and how busy do they keep you
0: Oh, they're great. I mean, it's, being a father is just, it's the best, it's the best thing in the world. I mean, I, I love my kids more than anything. They're fun. They, they're, they're truly, in my opinion, objectively funny kids. Like they like tell funny jokes and, <laughs> and all that. And I just like, if I get any free minute, if I'm not working, I'm with them. And that's, and that's, I want not have it any other way. And, uh, but yeah, you gotta be in the. Got to be in the car right now because it's nap time, and if and if Dad's talking too loud, um, three three girls, really blessed, Ryan. I
1: what's guess. the what's the age? Uh,
0: four, I, I'm sorry, th- uh, three girls. What's the age range? Uh, my oldest just turned four. Uh, number two is two and turns you know turns three in the fall, and then uh my youngest just turned one.
2: Yeah. It's only going to get more fun from here, let me tell you.
0: Yeah, we're, we're definitely busy right now, but it's the it's the best kind of busy. All right,
1: I, I do have one, and I've been saving this question for the end because it's really important to me. Everybody in Washington, I'm sure, knows Ryan Kerrigan, the football player. Do more people know you as NASA t- technician Garber from Sharknado
0: 3? I would say that's probably my calling card. I mean, I, I'm, when they, when, when, people, uh, when people see me, they don't say, oh, there's the, the guy that played football. They're like, oh, my gosh, you, you were in Sharknado 3. And I'm like, not only was I in it, I was a uh, no, – no, no, but, yeah, that was, that was fun. No, that was fun. I mean, that was uh, – yeah, that, I'll tell you what. If anything, being in that Sharknado movie gave me such a great appreciation for filming a movie – because I was there for like six hours filming that movie, filming that scene, and I—it was—I mean, if you blinked, you missed my scene. I'm like thinking, like, my God, I'm like thinking with the time I was there, I was like, man, I was hoping for a little bit more FaceTime than that. But, uh, no, it was a—it's—it's uh, it's definitely a cool blip to to have a uh, you know a little on my radar to to be able to say, yeah, I was in one of the Sharknado movies
2: when when you show your girls down the line you're going to be like, okay don't don't turn away don't turn away. here i come here don't, no oh you missed it, it,
0: it, it i mean it will be like that i i'll never forget watching that watching the movie when it came out and like just in, on pins and needles anticipation and then it just came and went like like that and i was like oh okay well i guess yeah you know, I, I guess that was that was fun <laughs>
2: Well, it's, it, uh, I'm saving this one till the end, too. We asked you about a, a Joe Taylor story. I've got a Ryan Kerrigan story I tell people when, uh, whenever they ask me who my favorite Boilermaker is. And, and it's not a football-related thing. You might not remember it. Um, your freshman year, you did a job shadow with uh, the, the Strategic Comms office here. And we didn't have a lot for you to do. So you went on a couple video shoots with me. And uh, we we kind of I don't know we went and shot something at golf or baseball or whatever. And I remember as we were walking back to our offices in Macky Arena, we ran into Dave Shondell. And as a as a freshman here from Muncie, you knew who Dave Shondell was. You know you 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 were kind of a little bit awestruck by oh there's there's Coach Shondell. I I I know him he's a big deal and I'm like dude, you're Ryan Kerrigan. You're a big deal too. Uh, that was a fun moment for me, but it's kind of a, a fun little story I've, I've shared with some people. And like I said, I, I doubt you remember it. It's a, it's a blip on your radar, but.
0: Well, no, I mean, it, it is funny to say that, you know, I was, you know, awestruck by, by coach Shondell because I grew up with him like me and his son, Kyle were, were really great friends, went to the same elementary school growing up. And so, um, he was, you know, definitely always an authority figure to me, and so, like, and so I remember when he got the Purdue head job, I was, like, like, wow, like, he's a, you know, he's a star now. I mean, that's, that's really cool, like, you know, to see him, you know, see him like that, and so, like, I was, like, a little bit, uh, I, I was, it was awesome to see him, you know, on, on campus, just because it was a little bit of a surreal moment growing up with him as, you know, as my friend's dad, and then to now see him you know, yeah. at, at the helm of, you know, Purdue volleyball, which by the way, he's just absolutely crushed it there. And, and so it, but it was just, it was just, it's, it was so cool to, it was so cool to see him. You know, I was just, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of him, proud of the way that he's you know gone from Muncie central and, and killing it there to going to Purdue to killing it there.
2: Well, I know we're all real proud of you as well, uh, Ryan, I can't think of a better way to, to leave this conversation that, than that right there, Tim. Anything else you'd like to? to throw? No,
1: just just be really quiet, Ryan, when you go back inside, because you don't want to wake the girls up. You, you don't want to wake wake girls up and and kids up early from naps. That's that's a lesson you learn very early in your parenthood career.
0: Oh yeah, our our second has taught us that. Yeah, if you you wake her up, then then there's there's hell to pay. <laughs>
2: Ryan, thank you so much, as always, for your time and uh, all the great memories you've given so many Boilermaker fans uh, over the years. We, We really have enjoyed watching your career and continue to be excited to see what you've got next.
0: All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.